You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's May 12th. On March 13th, 2020, as COVID-19 began claiming lives worldwide at a frightening pace, the U.S. government declared a public health emergency. That declaration expired yesterday, marking a new stage of the pandemic. In a new Q&A, we asked RAND experts to reflect on the past three years. What were the effects of COVID-19 in the U.S. and around the world? What was done right with the pandemic response? What was done wrong? And what could help mitigate the health and geopolitical impacts of future pandemics? Here's a rundown of what they had to say. Mashid Abir, who is both a senior policy researcher and a practicing emergency physician, emphasized the need to, quote, entirely rethink pandemic planning based on this experience. But we also need to be prepared to respond to unthinkable future scenarios, she said. Senior policy researcher Daniel Gerstein suggested better planning for the next public health crisis through the creation of a national commission for COVID-19 similar to the commission created after the 9-11 attacks. This would allow for collecting and assessing shortfalls and developing coordinated approaches to preparing for, responding to, and mitigating future pandemics. Preparing America's schools was another topic of discussion. Policy researcher Elizabeth Steiner said that more planning and consistent guidance, particularly around quarantines and remote instruction, would help facilitate a more organized response when the next pandemic strikes. Quote, federal and state policymakers should help schools develop emergency response plans, including clear policies, communications plans, and resources for families. False information was also discussed as a key feature of the pandemic. Ray Block, the inaugural Michael D. Rich Distinguished Chair for Countering Truth Decay, and a senior political scientist at RAND, explained one reason why misinformation and disinformation took hold of so many people. Facts and falsehoods about COVID-19 have become tightly attached to our social and political identities, he said. For example, believing conspiracy theories regarding where COVID-19 originated, how it spreads, or if vaccines are effective, signals not only whether people are correct or incorrect, but also what communities people belong to. And finally, health policy researcher Ryan McBain summed up the last three years this way. Quote, I see two asymmetric storylines. One is a story of success, that health tech was able to bring a safe and effective set of vaccines to market in record time and the underlying technology has the potential to transform other areas of healthcare. The other story is one of failure, about distrust in and devolution of institutions. There are many more insights in the Q&A, which you can find on the RAND blog. Although our researchers cover a wide range of topics and expertise, their feelings were unanimous on one point. The official government declared emergency may be over, but the legacy of COVID-19 will long endure. We also have a few new pieces of RAND research to discuss today. 
First, a report out this week looks at the problem of labor trafficking in the U.S. It's estimated that 14,500 to 17,500 people are trafficked into the U.S. each year to perform bonded or forced labor. Labor trafficking, in fact, is the most common form of human trafficking worldwide. The authors of the report highlight key issues that need to be addressed to solve this problem. Importantly, reducing labor trafficking is especially challenging because identifying trafficking victims is so difficult. There are four main reasons for this. First, victims often are not aware of their rights. Second, victims can be undocumented or displaced people whom state and federal laws might not adequately protect. Many victims, for example, may fear deportation if they were to come forward. Third, there is no centralized mechanism for reporting labor trafficking. Fourth, and finally, victims could be undercounted because investigating and prosecuting labor trafficking cases can be a challenge. It's clear that there are many knowledge gaps when it comes to labor trafficking. A deeper understanding of victims' experiences, as well as trafficking practices and the roles of multinational companies, is required in order to address the problem both in the U.S. and around the world. Great power wars, conflicts that involve two or more of the most powerful states in the international system, are fortunately rare. Still, these conflicts are some of the most consequential events in world history, as they lead to massive casualties and destruction, and have the capacity to reshape societies and the international system. A new RAND report takes a look back at the history of great power conflicts, starting with the Crimean War of 1853 and ending with the Korean War less than a century ago. Considering how today's decision makers and military planners can avoid the mistakes of the past, the authors found many lessons to be learned, as the history of great power conflict is littered with mistaken predictions and poor assumptions. These range from misreading an adversary's will to fight a long war, to misunderstanding how technology will affect fighting, to incorrect predictions about the length, intensity, or cost of a conflict. Perhaps the most infamous example of such a mistake took place in World War I, when, in July 1914, the European powers predicted that the conflict would be over by Christmas. The authors then took the information from their historical analysis and used it to examine how four hypothetical great power war scenarios between the U.S. and China or Russia might play out. It's worth noting that this research was conducted before Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine last year. Overall, they concluded that the aftermath of such conflicts could produce unwanted consequences for the U.S., even if America was victorious. As lead author Miranda Preeb tweeted this week, the real winners are likely to be the parties that don't fight in these conflicts. Another newly published RAND study finds that providing defendants with legal counsel during their initial bail hearings decreases both the use of cash bail and the probability of pretrial detention. Here are the numbers. Having legal counsel at bail hearings increased the probability of being released without monetary bail by 21%. It also reduced the probability that an individual was in jail three days after their bail hearing by 10%. 
Notably, these changes occurred without increasing the likelihood that defendants fail to appear at a subsequent hearing. The analysis, based on a field experiment in Pittsburgh where public defenders were assigned to a limited number of initial bail hearings, is one of the few high-quality studies of its kind. The findings are particularly relevant given that roughly half of the counties in the U.S. do not currently provide defense representation at bail hearings. Further, there is substantial evidence that pretrial detention leads to worse outcomes for both the defendant and society at large. Longer jail stays and higher chances of conviction in the short term, and worse recidivism and employment outcomes over the long term. That's it for today's episode. You can learn more about the topics we discussed in the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. Before our regular show next Friday, we'll be bringing you a special episode on the expiration of Title 42 and the implications for immigration, border security, humanitarian issues, and more. So stay tuned. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis.